0: anything. You know, I think I kind of, I said something along the lines of I was praying desperately on a Thursday morning on the way to work that God gave me a message. And I want to put your mind at rest. This week on Tuesday, a whole two days before, (laughs) when I was praying for what God uh, had, what God had, what message God wanted me to bring to you, I heard the words salt and light. Salt and light. Now, it's been something that, as she's been on, uh, in quite a regular conversation, myself and Ruth have, have talked about kind of being salt and light a lot. So it's one of those things, maybe I'm just thinking about that right now. And so I said to God, I did that thing you do. I said to God, is that really you? <laughs> Give me a sign. Give me something that says that's what you want to speak on. That was Tuesday morning. Tuesday lunchtime, I joined Michael here in this building when the leaders of the church across Skipton met to pray together. And Andy Sellis, a great guy, some of you will know Andy very well, he sat there and he opened the same passage and read about being salt and light. And I said, God, I will take that, that you want me to speak on that today. Before we start, have you ever had someone try and explain something to you and you just haven't got it at all? You've got no clue what they're talking about. Teachers yeah. Maybe they've tried in different ways. Maybe they've spoken slower. Maybe they've got a bit frustrated. But you just don't see it. Some of you may know by now. But my guilty pleasure is I'm a bit of a board game nut. I have a bit of a problem to be honest. And I probably need some help. Sometimes. sometimes every now and again. Ruth will give in to my childish nagging and play a board game with me. But she has one key rule. It's easy to pick up and I don't explain it to her. Apparently, I have this voice I do when I'm trying to explain the rules of something. And as far as Ruth's concerned, I become like the teacher in Snoopy. Have you ever heard it? You know, wah, 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 wah in the corner. I realised at some point Ruth would be just on her phone, going. I'll pick it up later, it's fine. Something I love about Jesus' teaching, and we see it throughout the New Testament, is the pictures, is the examples that he uses in such simple ways, those that listening to Jesus could hear what he was saying and just get it. They could visualise what he was talking about. Most of these are found in his parables. Simple stories that he told with deep meaning. Classic pictures like trees and the kind of fruit they bear. Sheep who are lost. Workers in a vineyard. Great parties. Tiny mustard seeds. Where you sow. It was interesting that Michael kind of talked about that on Wednesday. Where you sow for the best results. And I think I might have just hit on a a preaching series, Michael. We should roll out the parables, go back to the basics. There are so many examples of ordinary things Jesus used to give a deeper meaning to those who he spoke to. He made it simple, which is great because it means that when we look back today, it's still simple for us to understand. When Jesus talks about salt and light, we can sit back and think, I know these things. I know about salt. I put it on my food. I know about light. I turn the light on. I can see things. I know about salt and light. But, as is always the case, when Jesus is using these examples, there is a deeper meaning. So let's have a look at Matthew 5 together. There are Bibles at the front door. You can turn the Bible on on whatever device you have of choice. But let's read Matthew 5. And I'd like to start a little bit before at verse 1. So I'm going to read 1 to 16. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. We heard Michael talk about this morning. Hunger. For in the same way they, sorry, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men. They may see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven. Fantastic. A lot of you will recognise this passage. It's sometimes called the Sermon on the Mount. It is the longest recorded speech of Jesus in the Bible. He speaks solidly from chapter 5, verse 1 to chapter 7, verse 29, the very end of the chapter. It contains some of the fundamental uh, principles of the Christian faith. Key concepts that as Christians we should aim for as we live our lives for him. I challenge you like I like to do when I stand at the front here. Michael gives me a microphone. I get to challenge you. I challenge you and myself. Why don't we go and read it? This was Jesus' direct message to his disciples and to the crowds gathered. It was a direct message to you. It happens really early in his ministry. He's just called his disciples. In fact, it seems to be teaching directed at them. There's not any recorded, especially in Matthew, of any direct teaching to his disciples before this time. Remember, it says at the start, he sat down, which was a, quite normal for the rabbis. They would sit down and people would come to them to learn. He sat down and his disciples came to him to hear. But we know this message was for the crowd, He'd already talked about the crowds that were gathered that took him onto that mountainside in the first place. And when it finishes at the end of chapter seven, it says when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. His disciples were gathered with him, but he was saying it in a way that the crowds could hear. It starts with what is commonly called the Beatitudes. Great little name for it. Did you know the word beatitude comes from the Latin beatitudo? It's not a massive change. Meaning blessedness, the phrase blessed are. In each beatitude implies a current state of happiness or well-being. He goes on to talk about the fulfillment of law. He talks about murder, adultery, divorce, oaths, how you respond to being wronged, loving your enemies, giving to those in need, prayer, fasting, your treasure in heaven, why you shouldn't worry keep one for myself, and judging others, and much more. What an amazing sermon. We've talked a lot about calling recently. Clearly God wants us to think about our calling as a church. We had an amazing moment when Stuart uh, got up and preached last week about calling. What Stuart didn't know was two weeks before that, I preached on running away from your calling. Stuart wasn't told... But God, he said to me afterwards, he said, it's amazing when you're in tune with what the spirit wants for a church. When we think about our calling, especially kind of that first calling to follow God. This, the Sermon on the Mount, is solid, basic discipleship, basic teachings for us as Christians. It's quite a sermon and something to aspire to. So settle down as I unpack it over the next three hours. (laughs) God said to me, salt and light. You are salt and light. Now, I wanted to read this uh, chapter from the beginning. I've never preached on the Beatitudes and I love it. It made me think about a clip from uh, Monty Python. I thought I could show that until I realised just how much swearing is in that clip. (laughs) But it's great to go back and read those. It's fantastic insight into the heart of God for the poorest in our our community and the most compassionate in our communities. But I was drawn to verses 11 and 12, the bits just before the verses on salt and light, as I think they lead us into the key passages for today. It says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of things of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, it feels to me and I'm adding something to the Bible. We shouldn't do that. But it feels to me that right before verse 13, there should be a four. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, for you are the salt of the earth. Blessed are you for being singled out as different, for you are different on purpose. You are salt and light. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how could it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your heaven, your father in heaven. Sorry. Salt of the earth. Have you ever heard someone say, you're the salt of the earth. They might say about someone else, Michael, he's the salt of the earth. And they might be saying it, you look on the, online at the dictionary and it, and it says the phrase means someone who's good, who's honest, who's dependable. But when I say God said it first, it turns out that there is far more to it than the phrase suggests. And like any of these things, when you really dig into it, God has a far bigger meaning. So why salt? I got very fascinated by this, I got a little bit geeky. I did a lot of looking around on what, on what salt is, what you use salt for. When salt is added to something, it brings so much more than flavour. When you think about why Jesus said you are salt, we start to see God's plan for his people and how we are to reach out to others in our communities. I got so much into it, I could probably preach a whole series on salt, but just touching on the subject the significance of adding salt and importantly the impact of removing it we'll come back to that later God has told us we are the salt of the earth for a reason so whistle stop tour of salt just going to touch on the subject but I'm going to tell you about the functions of salt but before I do can anyone tell me why we use or have used in the past salt anyone got any ideas? <laughs> is that preservative? Flavour? Ice removal. Yep, I didn't get to ice removal. Someone told me about that just after I finished preparing. I'm not going to use ice removal today, but you can throw it on the floor and stop ice. Healing. What's Kill slugs. Kirsten. Right, okay. What's the real.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes,
0: you can use kill slugs. You can throw it at people. I'll tell you. Probably doing some yeah. healing. Preserves. Healing? Yeah, crystals. Preserved, yes. Okay, so some of the key reasons when you look at why salt was used, it's a food preservative. I suppose I'm talking mainly in why people added it to food. It's a food preservative, we've talked about that. To preserve, according to the internet, is to maintain something in its original state. You add salt when you want to keep something good and usable in the future. And for years, this has been done with food. Or, the second part of the meaning for it, is to stop something from decomposing. Salt is added to stop something going bad. It's a texture enhancer. I didn't know this. Salt is added to affect the feel, the appearance, and the consistency of something. If you add it to steak at exactly the right time, it makes it more juicy. So I've just found out on the internet. It's a flavour enhancer. Flavour is a distinctive taste, or the essential character of something. Salt is added to enhance the flavour. It's a nutrient source, a substance that provides nourishment, essential for the maintenance of life and for growth. Salt provides nutrients. It's a binder. It's added to certain types of food to literally stick it together. It's put in sausages for that that very reason. It's a colour enhancer. The presence of salt promotes and maintains colour. It stops food from turning grey or muddy colour. I don't know about you, but I just thought it made your chips taste nice. But salt is deep. So when God said you are the salt of the earth, he's not saying you're a pretty good guy. Or girl, it's not an encouragement. You are good and honest. He is saying you are an essential person added to this world to preserve and enhance it. Going back to my meat analogy earlier, when people buy meat, or even if you go back further in time, when they went out and collected and prepared meat, collected, killed stuff. It would start to go bad and dull in colour. It would lose its taste. It would dry up. So, people added salt. When God created the world, when He created us, we are told in Genesis to be His people in relationship with Him, loved by Him, to be keepers of His creation, He created us perfect. When God created the world, He already knew we would sin, He knew we would do things wrong, that bad stuff would enter the world, the stuff God created would start to go bad. He knew at the start and created a plan to save the world. We know this. His son who died for us that we might be free, that whoever believes in him will have life. We are told that we are made in his image to carry that message to his people, to go into the world and bring hope. When people turn their back on God, when we start to do things wrong, things start to go bad. But when God created the world, he added the salt at the start. God is saying to you and me, you are the salt. But it has to be applied to something to work. Or in our case, to other people. We were made to be the salt added to those that need some seasoning. Seasoning. I don't know if you realise this when you're at home cooking or when you pick up your chips from Busy Lizzy's, other fish and chip shops are available, but salt does not do anything if you keep it with the rest of the salt in the salt tub shaker thingy, whatever you choose. (laughs) It looks white and it looks clean from the outside, but unless it comes into contact with the food, nothing happens. Mm. It is when it is added during storage, during cooking, or for taste, when you're eating your food, that it does its work. The thing about salt is normally, when it's in the food, it's hard to see. It's only when people interact with it that they get the benefits of salt. God did not add his people, the salt of the earth, to sit in a cupboard with the rest of the salt, (laughs) but to be thrown into the pot. We are not called to just hang out in church with the rest of the salt, We could be called from now on. We were called to be added to the meat. I got really into that analogy, by the way. I do like meat. and I'm starting to feel quite hungry this morning. God has called us to change the texture of those around us. To bring colour back to a people who have dulled as they've turned away from God. To stop the slow decline and decomposition, but preserve a people in the way God intended. People that God wants to have a relationship with again in a meal. Salt enhances the flavour, the character, the colour of something, so that people see and taste the difference. I don't know about you, but if you've been out to a restaurant and you taste a really good meal, you might say something like, my compliments to the chef. That was a really well cooked meal. When people interact with us, we should cause them to look at the one who created us with praise. We should reflect people back to our creator. No challenge at all then. But there was something significant that I realised when preparing this and finding out more about salt. You can tell I've been on a real journey with salt. All life on this planet needs salt. In fact, an absence of salt leads to all kinds of health complications. And if prolonged, if you completely remove salt from your diet, if prolonged, it causes death. There's all kinds of things that happen on the way to that point. But if a prolonged absence of salt in your life it caused to death death. Without salt, you will die. It's not just there to enhance and preserve, but give t- to give the sorry but to give life the vital nu- nutrients it needs to live. Use a lot of big words today. God has called us the salt of the earth because the message we carry into the world is a message of life. Mm. To bring the hope of Jesus Christ that whatever people have done in their life, there is an answer, and that is Jesus. But if people do not hear the truth, if we do not bring the message we carry into the world, if people do not come into contact with us and see the difference God has made in our lives, if we starve people of the salt of the earth, the future for them does not look good. The world needs the message of God's love for them, of the son he sent to die for them, that if we believe in him and accept what he did for us, we will have life. We are life bringers. John 3.16, I seem to say this a lot when I preach. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Amen. But it says in the second part of verse 13, and by the way, I'm only seven words into the passage, so I don't know what time you were thinking of having your own lunch today. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It can no longer be good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. There is a warning in this passage, but what if the salt loses its saltiness? It will become no longer any good. I wasn't sure what to do with this bit. Does salt lose its saltiness? I had no idea, but it was in the Bible. So I did that thing that I do regularly when I preach and I Googled it. Google is good. How does, I literally put in, how does salt lose its saltiness? It comes up with all this information. And I'm going to read to you from Ask a Scientist website. <laughs> Historically, salt has been obtained from crude sources such as salt marshes and minerals such as rock salt. By the way, I could have gone into great detail about salt. It was embedded in creation, by God. But anyway, there's another thing. Um, sodium chloride is ready, wa- readily water-soluble. So if this crude salt were exposed to condensation or rain water, the sodium chloride could be dissolved and and removed. And the salt could, could in effect, lose its saltiness. If the salt is watered down, in effect, it will lose its saltiness. We are told if we lose our saltiness, then we're no longer any good for anything except we trampled underfoot. What does that mean to us? I think simply, we are, if we are following the call on our lives to be the salt of the earth, salt to the earth, we need to be careful what else we are adding. How we live our lives, how we follow Jesus in our day to day, how we spend time with our Father in heaven, how we act around others. If we add the stuff in our, into our lives that is not from God... If we put other things first and not live as we are intended to live, if you water down the message, it will lose its saltiness. Then we are no longer good for what we are intended to do. We are called to keep our saltiness salty. But there's a whole other part of this passage. It says in 14, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. Now, it wasn't that long ago that we looked at the truth that Jesus said, I am the light of the world as part of that amazing I am series. I am not planning to spend a long time on this. If you were not there, I want to challenge you again. Go back and listen to it online. We've got very good at making sure our messages are recorded. If you go to our Facebook page, you can go back and listen to the messages from, uh, uh, from for the last couple of months, really. In John eight twelve, it says, Jesus, again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have light of life. It's a great truth. Light is, again, as important, an important part of this passage and message. But this time Jesus said, you are the light of the world, not I am, but directly you are. This follows what we are told. We are created in his image and that we carry the spirit within us. But why salt and light? You are salt and light. This great passage brings together these two concepts because their impact is different in its style. Salt needs to be applied directly to something to have its effect. But light shines out of something that can be seen from the distance. Salt has to be in contact. Light has to be seen. Salt enhances something through contact. Light guides and illuminates through radiating the light around it. And we are told here that we are the light of the world, the truth that we now carry the light with us. We are told that we've been given the spirit, that he lives within us, and we now carry the light of truth of Jesus wherever we go. So as Christians, we're told we are the light to others. By being the light of the world. We are told in these words quite clearly, let your light shine before others. We are called to be light to those who walk in the dark places, just as Jesus was, to bring hope to people who cannot see it, to shine our light So that others may see who we are and what we are doing and see the glory of God in it. But then Jesus gives us a strange example of what not to do with a light in the second part of the verse 14. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. This seems a pretty obvious concept. I mean, why would you? Why would you get the thing that helps you see and then cover it so no light can escape? But Jesus was warning us that actually, intentionally or not, we have the potential to cover the light up. He wanted us to be aware. But how do we cover the light? What is the bowl? What does that represent in our life? When we put other things before God in our lives, when we put ourselves in a position where those around us see see things where we do not reflect Jesus to them, but something else. We are just put in a great big bowl over who we are called to be to them. When people look at us and see things that are not God or not the fruit of what God is doing in our lives, when we let things of the world around us tempt us away from how God wants us to live our lives, maybe, maybe it's when we cannot forgive people for things they have done to us, we cover up the light. Maybe it's when we let our guard down and drink too much, get involved in conversations that hurt people. Maybe it's when we see the need of those around us and choose not to act. Maybe it's simply when we have the opportunity to share our faith with those around us, be a light to them, but we choose to keep it to ourselves through fear or worry of what they might think. We are covering up the light. When we put other things before God in our life, when we have acted in a way that is not what God would have wanted us to do, then we have covered the natural light that shines from within us, the light of Jesus that is, that is there for all to see. We are called to be light to the world, to be a city on a hill for all to see, to make sure our light is in a position where as many people around us can see it and can be impacted by it. We're called to put our light On a stand so that others may see our good deeds, the things that we do and say because of our relationship with God and glorify our Father in heaven. We call to be light so that people can see the source of the light. Salt and light. Salt is an incredible thing that enhances, preserves, and brings color and texture to food. We are told that that is our role to those around us to bring a message of life, the good news of Jesus Christ. Light brings light so that those that walk in the darkness can see the path. We're told we are the light so that others may see and see Jesus shining from us. We are called to be salt and light for a reason. In both examples, we're called to be salt and light to this world to make a difference to those around us. It's not just a nice title. It's an applicable, active thing that we're supposed to be doing. Both of these pictures of who we are in the world not only set us apart from the world, but call us to have a direct impact on those we do life with. We're called to live in a way that point other people to Jesus Christ. But salt and light act differently. Salt needs to be applied directly to do its thing. It needs to be in contact with food to work. To be salt to the world... We need to be in contact with people who need it. For us to be able to enhance those around us with the good news of Jesus Christ and bring life to people where currently, where currently there is none, then we need to be touching directly the lives of those around us. Otherwise, we are just in the salt shaker with the other salt. We're given a warning: if we add the wrong things to salt, if we water it down, then it loses its saltiness. And we are no longer any good for the thing we intend to be. We are told to keep our salt salty. Keep the main thing the main thing. That means putting Jesus first in our life, walking closely with him. Read his word. Stay close in prayer. Stay salty. Light needs to be seen and needs to be able to shine. For us to be effective as a light to the world, we need to be in places where we can be seen We need to be visible to those around us. And we need to be visible in the way we live our lives. We need to be actively walking in the dark places for the light to be effective. For it to be a light to the path of others. We need to be spending time with those that need to see the light. But if what we shine is not God... If through the way we choose to live our lives, people see the stuff that is not good, then we might as well put a bowl over our head. In fact, it would be better for us to be covered up than shine the things that do not point towards our awesome God in heaven. Brilliant. I'll listen to that again. Tell those that want to hear. Have a listen to that message. Fantastic, my brother. Fantastic. Well, we're going to uh, have a...